to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges. Cannot play with him. Rick Goslin. Cannot win with him. And Clark Judge. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. On Yahoo Sports Radio. I want winners. <laughs> Rudy takes the snap. He drops straight back. Has some time. Now he scrambles away from one hit. Looks. Uncorks a deep one for the end zone. Phelan is down there. Oh, he got it! He got it! He got it! Touchdown! 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 Touchdown, Boston College! He did it! He did it! Flutie did it! He got Phelan in the end zone! Touchdown! Well, after that, I'm not really sure why I'm introducing Doug Flutie. Virtually everyone remembers what they were doing or where they were when he threw that pass. Doug Flutie has always had to fight other people's expectations. You know what? Most of the time, he won the fight. Always considered undersized. He was a star at every level. A college All-American at BC. A CFL Hall of Famer who was selected as Canada's greatest player ever. A Pro Bowl quarterback in the NFL. And if he'd stayed more than a season in the USFL, no doubt about it, he would have taken over that league as well. Doug Flutie, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, I know, of course, Doug, that you've heard that radio call of the greatest pass ever thrown in college football thousands of times, but uh, uh, we were talking to Jimmy Johnson not too long ago, and we asked him about that play, and he had a little bit of a different take on it, so I wonder if you could just sort of listen to what Jimmy's take was. My defensive coordinator was actually not even in the press box when that play was run, and we took the lead with just so many seconds to go on the clock. I'm on the headphones, and before the play is run, I'm saying, okay, Ron, you know, victory defense, right? And there was no answer on the other end of the line. He had already cleaned out his office, was going to quit as soon as the game was over with. So when we scored to take the lead, he left the press box. And, and while that play was being run, we didn't even actually have a defensive call out on the field. I never, ever talked to that particular coach again. That sounds like sour grapes to me, Doug. What do you think? Well, I remember hearing the story that the coach had left the press box. I knew that. And, you know, they assumed they wanted – well, there's no question what to do for a coverage. You just get your butt back and defend the Hail Mary. But <laughs> I didn't know he was leaving the program anyway and he cleaned his office out and was ready to make a move. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that aspect of it, but I knew that uh, he had left the press box there. I had heard that. Did you assume your pass wow. did him in? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Yeah, that last pass got him fired. <laughs> yeah, right. maybe that's why he was leaving, yeah. I don't know. But, you know, it was, if the thing was, they were in perfect position to make the play. Just the two players that went up for the ball bumped into each other. It went through cleanly. And Gerard made a heck of a catch because he just had a split. He still the down flight of the ball, but then just had a split second again to find it again when it went through the crowd. Moving on, you signed with the New Jersey Generals of the USFL before the 85 NFL draft. The Rams didn't take you then until the 11th round with a 285th pick. Well, was your signing a preemptive strike on your part? Yeah, when I signed, I knew I was being... The NFL probably thought I was somewhere around a third-round draft choice, what they were saying, they were predicting. I wasn't 100% sure. I mean, I had heard as much as a first-rounder by some teams or, you know, fifth-round by others. But the general consensus was somewhere around third round. And the money being offered in the USFL was just too good to pass up. And it was a great opportunity to gain financial security at age 22, and, and I started my career. Subsequently, you know, the Rams waited till a late round pick up my rights just in case the league was sold or anything else. They weren't really pick, they weren't drafting me necessarily to bring me in or have me on their roster, but maybe just as a, as a pick they could trade later. 
We're with former quarterback Doug Flutie on the Talk of Fame. And, Doug, follow-up question to that. Uh, I understand about the uh, financial security, but just wondering, how difficult was it to preempt what I imagine was an NFL dream, especially for a Heisman Trophy winner, and not go to the NFL first? You know, the, the, the decision became pretty clear-cut. The contract made me the highest-paid football player at the time. It was a questionable future. Obviously, I've always had a chip on my shoulder, and I... I was chomping at the bit to go prove people wrong, and that's what I've done all my life. It, it got delayed two years, but or a year and a half, whatever it was. I think it might have been viewed differently, though, if I had just gone into the NFL, been a backup for a few years. Back then, you, there was no pressure on rookies to come in and play right away. They took their time. You had to earn your keep first, and then when you were ready, you got thrown thrown in. Now they get thrown to the fire right away because the contracts are so ridiculous and so so big. So the guys go in and play, and you know they, some of them pan out right away, and others don't. You know, throughout your career, it seemed like you, uh, it all took you a little while to get warmed up. I think when you first got to BC, they had just four string or something like that. And I know in the USFL, the I believe the first two passes you threw were intercepted by a guy named. Jeff Gabrielson of the Orlando Renegades. Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly got better after that. Uh, and, I, and, and I just wonder, did you, after that game, have any moment of doubt at all, saying, geez, maybe all these pro scouts are right, or did you just sort of figure it was a bad no, game? No, not at all. I mean, college-wise, I was starting by the fourth game of my freshman year when, when I came in, they had planned on moving me to another position. And then in the, in the USFL, I'd been in camp for four days, and could barely call a play in the huddle. I had about four or five pass patterns. So I was locking in on a receiver and just throwing, you know, week one. So that was kind of different because you're, you're, you know, I came in in the middle of a week and all of a sudden three or four days later, whatever it was, we're playing a game. So that took a little while. The, the thing that frustrates me more than anything about, we got it rolling as the year went on. The first four or five weeks were a struggle. And then we got going. The thing that, that, that frustrated me about the USFL was my arm was dead. I had played a whole year college football, turned around, found, signed right away, and played an 18-game schedule. And um, I remember towards the end of the season, I broke my collarbone. And I came back after a few weeks and started throwing again, and my arm was live. But it was right at the end of the season. So I had given it a good two- or three-week break without even throwing a ball, and all of a sudden I noticed the difference, and that's when I realized that my arm was a little dead throughout that year. Doug, you always could have played with a cast just handed off all the time to Herschel Walker. <laughs> <laughs> Herschel had a 2,000-yard rushing season. We had an NFL offensive line. We had an NFL tight end. We had Maurice Carthon at fullback. Ken Hall was our, our center. Ken Hall, perennial all-pro center for Buffalo Bills. And then Herschel back there at tailback. We ran the football. It was uh, th That was a very talented New Jersey general team. We're with Doug Flutie on the Talk of Fame Network, and Doug, speaking to that New Jersey Generals football team, you know the Donald, Donald Trump, better than any of us and all of us combined. Would he be better running the country than he was running a football team? <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, I like his uh, viewpoint on a lot of issues. I really do. <laughs> I think he'd be scary as a president. I don't know. <laughs> you know when it comes to when it comes to uh, political office, you want someone that is able to be a little diplomatic in, in the way he phrases things. Or I don't know. I, I think he, in certain areas, he, he do extremely well. Other areas, uh, he's a living daylight out of all of it. 
<laughs> now, the USFL obviously began as a spring league, and you played in the spring in the USFL. You played in the late summer in the CFL on into the early fall, and you played obviously in the winter in the NFL. Do you think there's a place for spring football today as popular as the game is? You know, I really do. People watch spring football games for college football now. They televise spring games. They televise live from training camp, and people have to watch it. It's a practice. You know, it, it amazes me. The impact. People sit there for four days watching the NFL draft. <laughs> All right? They're kicking players, people. <laughs> the day, pick up, oh, yeah, who did we get? Oh, okay, we got those guys. I mean, they've turned that into made-for-TV. People are crazy about football. If there was a legit, and I, I think the avenue for a new league, honestly, is an 18- to 22-year-old league for those kids that don't want to go to college. To have an outlet with, with NFL-style coaching, and that way they don't have to pretend to care about classes. they eligible, they go get paid like thirty, forty thousand dollars 40000 play 10 games, and get some film and get ready for hopefully an NFL career. I, I think it's a, a, a joke what goes on at some of the universities around the country. Doug, why was it that the, the coaches in Canada could get your skill out when the, the first go-round in the NFL, those coaches couldn't? I think... They turned over the reins to me offensively, and, and it was basically, what do you want to do? And I was in a position, I was up, when I was up there, after my first half of the season, I was calling all my own plays, I was running my own offense, and there was no, I mean, it wasn't rocket science. I repeated plays more than anyone in the history of the game. <laughs> I ran what I knew I did well, and pass patterns that I was comfortable with. So you were never questioning a call come in. In the NFL, when you get a call come in, your first thoughts are, what are we looking for? What is the coach looking for when he calls this play? It's here to here to here. I had none of that. I was calling a play because I knew what I was looking for, and I wanted to do this. And now you're vested in that play call, and you want to make it happen. It, it just, and if I wanted to change the play, I just did it because it was my play in the first place that, that I called. And you didn't I didn't need to answer to anyone about my decision-making, so I played free and just lose. And I took a lot of risks. <laughs> <laughs> We're with former quarterback Doug Flutie on the Talk of Fame Network. And, and Doug, question for you about after you left New England, you went to Canada, of course, had a storied career there. Uh, after, I think, your first year, you were 99-27, and 27, won three Grey Cups, six MVPs. And in 2007, you named the greatest player in CFL history. But you returned to the NFL, as we all know, became a starter, and you took the Bills to the playoffs, and you became the last man to convert a drop kick. You satisfied with your NFL experience or not? Absolutely. I, I mean, I would have loved to have had a 21 – I played 21 years of pro ball. I would have loved to have had a 21-year career with the same team and just, you know – continued to grow and put up all those numbers, but the experience of Canada was awesome. You know what it did? When I left the NFL the first time around and went to Canada, it put the fun back in football for me, and I regained my confidence. And when I came back to Buffalo from there, like I was just talking about, I was playing free, loose, easy. Uh, if I wanted to change a play, I just changed it. If I wanted to, to mess with the safety and try to move with my eyes and throw the backside, I'd do it. And I wasn't worried about what the coaches were going to say. So, so many times, especially early in my career, you had the, the camera behind you. And if your head goes to the left, they're going to ask you why on film on Monday. They're going to ask you. 
I would know where I was going to throw the ball, but intentionally pretend I was looking left for the camera behind. So on Monday, I wouldn't have to answer questions. You know, that, <laughs> yeah, it, it was ridiculous because you, know, you just graded a minus on this or that. But my eyes were still where I wanted, and uh, you know, productive. I was really, I was very satisfied with coming back, going to a Pro Bowl, getting to the playoffs with Buffalo. Um, it really was felt like redemption or validation to me. Well, Doug, I wish we could mess with the time and change it, but we can't. We're out of it. But thanks so much for spending time with us, and thanks for the memories. I mean it. Thank I you, Doug. I appreciate it. Thank you, Thanks, guys. Doug. That was Doug Flutie, and boy, was he good. Ron, was he always this good when you covered him? Yeah. One thing he could do was, was talk, and, and sometimes he could throw, and occasionally he could drop kick. He could do it all. <laughs> he could do it all. Well, we could do it all, too, here at the Talk of Fame Network. When we return, we'll hear why Bill Polian thinks there's a place for spring football. 